I don't know if we've particularly asked this question to start with. And for those of you who have not done a study uh, through some sort of what we would call systematic theology. In a sense, that's what we're doing here. We call it 50 core truths. But when we say 50 core truths, what we're saying is that we've taken the beliefs we have about God and categorized those into a system. That's how you call it systematic theology. So instead of just broad general statements, we put it so you can summarize it in these categories. And so as we do that, that's what we're walking through here to understand exactly what we believe. There'll be weeks we particularly talk about what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ and what we believe about sin, what we believe about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the church. And so all these things will be summaries of what we believe. But it's interesting, um, if you've ever thought about this, you say, if you were to order a systematic theology, place it in order, your first inclination might be to put God as the first study. Seems logical to me, right? To say, the first thing you ought to study is God. But yet the first thing we've studied is Scripture. Why do you think, just in your mind for a moment, why do you think it is we pick Scripture first, and then next week we'll begin, a talk, we'll begin talking about God and who He is, the, the characteristics, the attributes of God? Second, we'll, we'll move to God second. Scripture comes first. Anybody want to take a stab at that answer? Why you would do Scripture? It's the voice of God. Absolutely. Scripture reveals God. So in other words, um, what we're actually going to say about God, to use, a, use kind of a, an idea of a, of, a, of a river, it is downriver from the belief about the Bible. So we get what we, what we understand the Bible to be, and then everything we're going to talk about subsequent to that will flow from our belief about the Bible. So that's why the beginning of our, uh, even how we're ordering our study of theology actually makes a statement about the theology. That we would look and say, we can't know God apart from his word. And so as we begin and take these, these first few weeks, it's the primacy, the importance of the word. And so uh, if you don't appreciate before how you approach the word of God and how it affects everything, this should help you understand that. Because everything we talk about from this point will flow from this. And, I, you know, I talked about it before. Whenever a church begins to change some of its major doctrines and beliefs behind it all, or at some point, they are shifting what they do with the Bible. It always goes together. So, so just know that when you approach the word and you speak about how you see it, you, you're dealing with the very bottom foundation of what you believe. And if you make a tweak at the bottom, shakes the whole thing. So, so that's what we're building here is somewhat of a house of truth. And in that house of truth, we're going to put the Bible as the bedrock of what we believe. So that, that's why we spend this time on the Bible to begin our time together. So let me talk about two things this week. Let me talk about the clarity of Scripture the clarity of Scripture, and the transformative power 
of Scripture. Let's start with clarity. Here's the summary statement of clarity, what it means to be clear. Scripture is written in such a way that it can be understood by God's people. So uh, the word is clarity, or the a little more technical term, if you just really want to get into it, I think I left this on your paper, is per- perspicuity. I don't want to try to say that a bunch of times real fast. Um, but, but in dealing with just how clear the Bible is. So uh, let's look at a couple scriptures, and then I'll begin to uh, speak about how the Bible is clear. So you have referenced, I think, in your paper, Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is, a, this is a good verse to know in general because uh, I think it helps us categorize how we can understand God and in particular we'll apply it to the Bible. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. So the first thing I'll kind of just mention out of this is that clarity doesn't mean that this is a comprehensive truth. That means there are going to be secret things that are only to the Lord. So when I say we say the Bible's clear, just like earlier when we said it was sufficient, it wasn't wholly sufficient. It's not going to say everything possible. In fact, the Bible's going to have things that are secret. They're things we don't know. It's true about God. If we were to sit here, in a few weeks we'll talk about the Trinity and how God is three persons, yet one God. We're going to find out pretty quickly there are some secret things there. Some things we don't know or understand. Uh, Typically I feel the same way when I begin to try to wrestle with the doctrine of the providence of God and the responsibility of mankind. How do the two actually play out? There are some secret things there as well. How the two work together. But yet, notice the other part of Deuteronomy 29, it says the things that are revealed, they belong to us. We can have them to our our children forever. That's going to mean a little bit of something in a minute. Forever this is going to belong to us, that we may do all the words of the law. So to us as believers, the Bible is there to be clear and revealed to us. So it does mean that it is understandable. That means that if you have a base, the baseline for understanding the Bible is an acquired, normal ability to read. Like, like that's what it takes for the Christian. If you just have the, the, the baseline ability to read, an acquired ability. We're not talking about big time stuff here. If you have an ability to read the Bible, then you have a, the Bible is clear to you. You can understand it. Let me explain a little bit more. Um, I'll give you an example of how it's meant to be applied, even if it's, like, let's say, say really, it's an Old Testament book. Well, let's, let's hold that. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to jump a little bit. Because I want to I use this other 1 Corinthians 10 verse for an example. So if you want to turn to it, you can, and then I'll come back to it. And I want to walk through the major affirmations. The first one, scripture is intended to be understood. So that that means there's there's not some 
sense at which there's a certain group of people educated, a certain gender, a certain socioeconomic class, uh, even down to like, this is one probably we don't realize, even in age. It's not meant to say, that's why we're not over here saying to our little kids, hey, you can't understand this yet. This can't be clear to you yet. Why do you think we sit down with our even children and try to explain the Bible? Because we believe it can be clear to them. They can understand the scriptures. So it's intended to be understood. And um, the Holy Spirit, here's your second one. The Holy Spirit illuminates the minds of Christians as they read. So when we, sp- when we speak about it, when the, the natural question you might be thinking in your mind is this isn't always the easiest book, right? Sometimes you open to a difficult passage. There's some challenges here. I'll get to that in a minute. But what I do want to say now is that you have some help. You aren't intended to open this book on your own and just understand it like any other book you would read. We're going to find out reading this is a whole lot different than reading something in English class, which is real good news for me. I never did real good in English. Right, if you feel like, maybe you're a math guy, which is odd in my life to feel I always love math, and then the Lord called me to teach a book with my life, which is odd. But that's a good reminder to me that it was never meant to be because I had some ability to read. In fact, the Holy Spirit there, and the word is it illumines my mind to understand the scriptures. So with a, a natural ability to read, the Holy Spirit allows me to be able to see things in the scriptures. So I have help. It's, it's meant to be that he helps me along the way. Now, this doesn't mean that it's easy. You notice the next phrase there, clarity doesn't mean ease. So some people think, well, when you say the Bible's clear, that I ought to be able to open this under t- every, every time and go, well, that's That's plain. It's easy to understand. What I'm saying is not that it's plain. I'm saying that it is understandable for you. In other words, when you go to school, there are some things you learn that you don't immediately learn. That doesn't mean you can't know them. That just means it might take a little work, but ultimately you can know those things. So the same things with the Bible. It might take a little bit of work, but you can understand it. Every bit of the truth of the Bible. How is it that you're going to be held to this thing if you can't understand it as a Christian? Part of the burden of being responsible for you to follow this book is understanding it's actually clear enough for you to understand. So the Bible is clear. In fact, if you, you know, in 2 Peter 3, where Peter talks about Paul's writings, in fact, he says some of them are hard to understand. He refers to them as difficult. But that doesn't mean they're not understandable. It just means it takes a little bit of work. So um, here's another one here. Christians should seek help from the church. In particular, pastors and teachers. You should seek help from the church. In particular, pastors and teachers. So... Here's a couple levels of what I'm getting at here is you've got the Holy Spirit illuminating your mind, but then the Lord has also provided helps in the church. 
That's why you were never meant to be a solo Christian. He's done it with the aid of pastors, teachers, and I would even press further, and I'm a little bit careful with this, but I would just say fellow Christians. I think it's good to study the Bible with a group of Christians so that when you read it, you all learn to read it together. We're meant to read the Bible together. And so one of the things you need to learn to do, and the reason I say sometimes these passages are difficult, you need to learn to ask pastors and church leaders and people about how to read the Bible. So, so when it feels overwhelming, you need to look for answers. I would even press further to say that's the role of like having a study Bible or reading a commentary or having something else to help you read your Bible is those are all intended to be people explaining what's here to you. So even though I say it's clear, that means it's understandable for you, it might take a little bit of work. With the aid of the Holy Spirit and other Christians, you should be striving to understand the Bible. You should know the Bible, know Scripture. So the last thing I would say is understanding Scripture demands application. And I would, I would appeal back to the Deuteronomy 29, uh, 29, where at the very end, if you notice the phrase it said, that we may do all the words of the law. So the reason that the Bible is plain is so that you as a Christian can obey it. It's, it's clear in the sense. You can understand it. So I, I do know there are deeper things to study in the Bible. You as a Christian should not sit back and say, well, that stuff's just for a pastor. That stuff's just for my teacher. That stuff's just for the superstar Christian. The Bible is written in such a way so that everybody who has a basic understanding of how to read can read it and it can be clear to them. These are understandable truths. So let me speak about some major errors to avoid. The first one is denying the ability of contemporary readers to understand the Bible because it's an outdated book that presents an antiquated worldview. So, so this, uh, this doesn't always happen so much in the church, but I feel like it happens out in the world and it's a statement back on the Bible. People want to look at it and say, how does what somebody wrote way back then have anything to do with me today? Because again, this is, you say, well, how am I supposed to understand something that's written in this foreign culture? It's there to be clear to us. In fact, the Bible, and this is what I want to show you an example of. If you look in that passage I mentioned earlier for you to turn to, it's actually made, the Bible actually does it in, it shows it being done here in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul is looking back into the Old Testament and speaking about previous past scriptures and applying it to the Corinthians. 
So inside of the Bible, we can actually see it done. The Bible expects to be relevant into the future. Look at it here in 1 Corinthians 10. For I did not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So he connects all the way back to Moses, now connects to Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So the wilderness is long before this context, right? Notice this next verse. Now these things took place as examples for them. No, for us. He looks all the way to the Corinthians and says, when you look all the way back and see what happened in the wilderness, God intended that to be an example for you that we might not desire evil as they did. So so the Lord has intended the Bible, even though you have to reach back and see something in history, he's intended it for it to speak to you today. So don't write this off and say, well, that's just a bunch of old writings written to people way back when. The Bible was intended for us today. Here's the second one. Abdicating the responsibility for the interpretation of Scripture to a certain caste of people. Catholic clergy, Protestant pastors, Bible scholars, and the like. So, this may be a little confusing. You say, well, we, we rely on the pastors to help teach and interpret scripture. That is right. But you don't completely give that over. Because you're sitting there and you should be. When I read Deuteronomy 29, 29, you should be looking going, is that what that says? Because it's clear to you. It's not me telling you how it should be clear to you. In other words, the interpretation doesn't come off the pages through me to you. The interpretation comes off the pages to us. I'm helping guide the interpretation of Deuteronomy 29. But ultimately, we are all able to see it. This, This is the distinction last week. I spent a few minutes on this. And we could go through different examples. I'd like to give... Uh, we mentioned the Catholic Church. It has it listed in here. Uh, the, the statement would be is that the is tradition and really the, the popes and the bishops in the church, the magisterium is what it's called, that is, those are the means of interpretation for the people. So it's like the Bible comes up off of that for everyone. But where we uniquely hold a doctrine that we would call, particularly as a Baptist, something called the priesthood of the believer. In other words, there are still ordained pastors, but I wouldn't refer to myself as a priest before God. Because in Peter it says, you all are a holy priesthood, right? We all have direct access to God. And you know this. There's not, if I start standing up here and say, well, I have a special access to God that you do not as a pastor. He said, that's not true. I have the same access to God. Just like you have the same ability to read the Bible. 
So this is where you don't abdicate and say, well, he's going to pray on behalf of me to God. You're not looking at me asking me to talk to God for you. You might ask me to pray for you, but you know you can talk to God. The same way you don't look and say, well, that's their job to interpret this passage for me. You need to look and say, well, that's my job along with the pastor's job to read and interpret Scripture. It's on all of us. I would even say, you know, pastors, Bible scholars, all of those things, we're going to look to to help us, but they are not the ones who actually show us. So, so we need to engage with the Bible. And then I, I really like this last one, just to kind of, this is where it really presses on your day to day, is the last uh, real way in which we err is that becoming, we become lazy or discouraged in personally applying oneself to reading the Bible. Don't, don't become lazy with the Bible. And here's just like, um, I can mention a couple different ways. Just like any sort of skill you develop in life, reading and interpreting scripture is a skill. I remember when I was uh, 15, 14, 15 years old, I was in high school, I had a youth pastor come in and we were, I was in a small church. In fact, I didn't have, the church I was at, we had like volunteers running the youth ministry. And when I was 14 or 15, we finally hit the big time and paid a youth pastor to come and disciple us. And I remember this, uh, his name was Alan. And Alan sat down, and I remember to this day, I remember one of the Bible studies he did. And I remember he opened up the Bible, and he started walking through a passage of Scripture. And when he started pointing things out to me, I had never seen those things before. Like, it, it was, to me, it was fascinating because I could read it, but I kept wondering, how do you see all this? It wasn't like he had all this stuff out here. He was showing me stuff that I could read in the Bible. And to me, it was a moment that, you know, to this day is impacted even how I teach because I I hope that I have spent years working on that skill he had. And that when you see me teach or me open up the Bible, you go, that's right there. I, I see it now. And so for us, when we spend time, it develops this skill. And it's distinctly different. In other words, I don't, I don't want to hear a teacher who teaches me something and the whole time I look back down and I learn things out here and I don't learn things here. I want, to, I want people who take the clarity of the Bible and show it to me. It's just like turning a light on in here. And so as I encourage you with this, you, you Christian, should strive to develop those skills. And so you should strive to learn to know and read your Bible. It should be something you desire to do. So, so in other words, when you sit down with it, you're learning the skill of rightly interpreting and seeing things in the Bible. Sometimes that might be a study Bible that helps you with it. Sometimes it might be a Bible study. Sometimes it might actually be sitting long enough with a verse of the Bible and memorizing it to where you finally see something new. Whatever it might be, you are a person who knows how to read your Bible. There's, 
There are few things in life that when I'm around another Christian and I start talking to them and they start speaking about things they know about the Bible, there are few things that will elevate my opinion of the maturity of their faith, like knowledge of the word. There's just something about that. If you know the Bible, I mean, just automatically, you just, that's a mature believer. I understand it takes other things. I'm not saying it's just knowledge of the Bible. I'm just saying that's a huge hallmark. And so I would say to you, don't be lazy in how you, and so you do these three things. This is what I would encourage you to do. First, read the Bible expectantly. So that means when you open the Bible, you are looking in an active, engaged way for truths from the Bible to be made plain to you. Best way I know to do it is I like to read the Bible with a pen in my hand. Now, this is uh, the nicest Bible I own right here. This is the way I do it. Um, Pastor does it. Pastor has a Bible similar to this. And whenever he reads, he circles the verse number every time he reads that verse. So you can see what verses he's read. When I, for this Bible, I have written virtually nothing in it. I keep it for teaching out of, I read out of it on Sundays. Then I bought myself a journaling Bible that sits in my bedroom at the house, sits at the house, and I pull it off uh, my dresser and I use it for my quiet time and I mark the mess out. I just write notes. If I see something, if I have something that impacted my heart, I'm always writing it there. I'm interacting and engaging with that. Fact is, over after reading through, read through it several times over, I was telling somebody this the other day. I, re, I get to a point, and I, I, the other day I'll go, man, I forgot that one, and I've seen something before. I wrote it down, and then I go back and see it again, but I, I didn't see it this time because I had written down what I had made a note on. And so I, I would just encourage you to read expectantly. The Bible should, the Bible should give you something. It's not some magic book. You just sit down and read, and you're done with it. Second one um, is to pray with, for the Holy Spirit's illumination. So in other words, um, it's just a good habit. Doing your quiet time. Open the Bible. Does that have to be long? Before you start, Lord, would you help me to have the spiritual eyes to read your word today? Lord, show me from your word my sin today. Lord, may I see what you have to say through your word today. I don't know. I, whatever. Any one of those. Lord, my heart needs to hear your word today. Would you speak directly to me? Just, just ask for the help that the Lord's going to provide through the Holy Spirit. And so you look down, and as you begin to read, you trust the Holy Spirit to allow you to see and then the last one is to ask for help from pastors and teachers. So in other words, you read through it, you're asking for somebody, you, you're asking and processing as you go. Yes, sir. Okay. Right. So here, here's the question Brother Phil asked. How is it, if the scripture's clear, how is it two believers come to one passage and come out with different interpretations? So, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today, even processing it to make my, I'm going to make the question harder for myself. Uh, but I was even thinking about, this is probably, 
You could ask the same thing about denominations. And when you get out there and you see, some people want to criticize and say, um, you, you look at like other, other beliefs and you say out there, look, uh, somebody said like Jehovah's Witnesses or something. They say they just kind of have one clear thing. And then you say with, with Christians and all these process, they have all these different kind of ways that they process and walk away from. Um, there's a couple of things I would say, and I don't know if I have the greatest answers for you. I think one of those, as I was processing this today, is one of those is a natural result of the priesthood of the believer. Whereas if we just had one, two or three or four people just interpreting it all for us and handing it over, then we'd probably have just one simple thing. But because we actually all approach the text and are striving to understand it, we're actually going to end up some, with some more variety than most other people are going to approach it with. Um, the other one that may not fully answer what your question is, I think oftentimes the different interpretations may come from our sin. A fallen world creates broken things, and our minds are fallen, and we can't fully understand stuff. So there's going to be times that our sin keeps us from actually reading things uh, correctly as we process, and that very well may be possibly. And I don't want to say that every time a person gets it wrong, that it's a direct sin. I would say that sin has caused my mind to not be able to fully understand the things of God. It, my mind is flawed now. So there's a level at which I couldn't fully grap, grapple with that. So I, I think that is one of the challenges uh, that we face. Good question. The, the other one I would say, I, I was asked this one last week after class. I thought I'd bring it up at this point. Is uh, clarity. Well, how do you feel? How does, it, how does it feel when we, like a pastor gets up and will say something like, well, the Greek word for this, and they'll go into this Greek explanation and they'll have this whole piece. And you say, well, how, how am I supposed to know all that? That's not fair, right? And, uh, you know, it feels like that I do have to be the superstar scholar to understand all that. So a couple of pieces I would say to that. One, that's what the Lord gave you pastors for. You know, we said earlier is that there's a, there are people that are helping you and there are people that are there to help you. So that's actually a moment that the Lord's using his means he's created. You know, it's not just like we made this whole idea up of having people in the church that teach the Bible. There actually is this office in the, in the Bible it speaks about. And the one thing, the one requirement on my life apart from holiness is able to teach. There's a reason God created those means. So don't see it as like a negative that, hey, you got somebody standing up there saying the Greek. In fact, that's the Lord's means by helping you understand that. Uh, the other half of it is most times when you see the Greek word, uh, what we've been blessed with today is a really good English word that means the exact same thing. Uh, the example I would give, that um, I remember when I was in seminary, they always, I took Greek and you always had to interpret, I think it was 1 John 1 that everybody typically translates. 1 John, a lot of common Greek words in it. So we interpret, it was like the first 10 verses and you had to do it on a test. You had to translate it. And I remember when I got done, uh, for the most part, I read it and I thought, wow, that English translation is pretty good. <laughs> right? It was, I just basically wrote well, what was in the English and not quite as good because I don't understand Greek as well. I mean, in other words, I learned that what we have in English is actually pretty good. And so oftentimes when it's in a particular tense and we speak about it being in the Greek tense, it actually was in that tense in English. Uh, the one I think of is Ephesians uh, chapter 2 where it says, 
Ephesians 2, it talks about where he is seated, where we are now seated with him. It's speaking about our salvation. And it speaks about how now we are seated. And so it actually uses the past tense term. It's a good verse for the fact that once you're saved, it happened in the past, you're always saved, right? It's a kind of now kind of thing. Well, it's interesting that English has it in the past. I don't have to have the Greek. Uh, even though you can look at it, a lot of times the English will be there to help you. So uh, that's just a couple thoughts I have on how that might feel a little bit that way. And I would distinguish here, I think that's un- interpreting Greek. Historical stuff is different for me. I don't, I don't need that as much. Uh, I need just an interpretation of the word. That's the important part. All right, let's get to the next one because I have run out of time. I'll try to move quickly to get to the highlights. The second one here is the transformative power of Scripture is the multifaceted effect that God, its author, brings about through his word. So, Scripture, or God's Word, has transformative power. So, let's, you need to start breaking how you think about your words and stop thinking about God's words that way. Because when God said, let there be light, things happened. When you say, let there be light, Nothing happens. We just hear the words, let there be light, right? His word is connected to his action. When he speaks, action happens. So, So you can't think of God's word like you do other words. It is tied to who he is. Listen to... Uh, Psalm 19's description of God's word. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. So when God makes a testimony, guess what his testimony does? It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. So when God makes a rule, guess what his rules do? They make the heart rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is pure and in It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. I'd be remiss if I didn't quote Isaiah 55. This is the verse most of you think of when you think of the transformative power of the Bible. Most of you know this. If you don't, this is one you ought to know. It says, For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, just like rain brings water, the waters the plants, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. But just like the rain comes down and creates crops, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So when God speaks, has power. It has an impact on us. So I want to introduce, this is probably the one concept that I'll give you in this. It's a little more complicated, but I, I think I want it to, to help you kind of, this will bring right to, I, to the idea of what we're going for here. It's called speech acts. 
It means God is doing things with his words. So when God speaks, he's doing with those words. So it's not, we want to separate this. It's not some magical spell with the Bible where I just read these words and these words create this magical. No, it's, it, it is the words are so connected with the character and action of God that when they are spoken, God is doing. They're not like your words. They're different. They, they are his action. The example here, um, without, there, there's a little more technical way to define this in the book if you want to pick it up. I would encourage you to go read it. it. Actually, breaks down how this speech act works. Um, but here, here's what I will say: it, it compares it to the idea of a marriage pronouncement. So when you stand in front, when I do a wedding at the, at the, at the end. I said, I "Say, I now pronounce you husband and wife." In that moment, I make a declaration with my voice. And it, then it results in this action of them now being legally married. So as close as I can make it to my words is that in that moment, there's a speech that creates an action. This is how close God's words are. His words in many ways are him. So notice that there's a close relationship between God and his word. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, with um, authority, sufficiency, those are all connected. So notice the intimate connection between the Word and the Holy Spirit. So we've, we've already seen this kind of, as you are reading His Word, there's Holy Spirit's illuminating your heart, the Holy Spirit wrote this book, the Holy Spirit, in fact, has regenerated your heart, so now that you can uh, respond to this Word in a, in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, whenever the word is read, there is major action from God as a believer. There's a whole lot of things happening uh, that's not like you're reading any other book. There's a distinct action happening as you are reading the Bible. So it has, uh, it has this term here, infallibility infallibility of scripture, meaning that um, it never fails to accomplish its purpose or never leads to error. We believe that the word always takes you to right places. So that when you read this word, it always carries out what it's supposed to. Because God is connected with his word.
So John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Yes, because Scripture is not God. That's one distinction we can make here. It's one that a little bit, as far as I'm pressing this, this is the distinction we have to make. That even though he is closely connected and brought his word there, uh, we're not calling this word God. Jesus Christ was God. And so there is a little bit of a distinction I have to make uh, between the word and God. So as close as we're pressing it, I'd say Jesus Christ was not that. Now, is he, in a sense, the same way the word of God is a revelation of God? When, when he was, he is, in a sense, God's, he, he is, when we see him, we see the Father. There's a sense of that, that speaking, but I think there's a distinction when we speak about this whole scripture than from Christ. I wouldn't say this is Christ, because then we would need like a fourth person of the Trinity, the word. Uh, but we don't, we don't do that in a sense that the Trinity is all in action here. Um, Holy Spirit's writing, Father is inspiring, kind of, Holy Spirit's part of that. So I would distinguish there. I, I didn't give a completely clear answer there. I don't, I don't know how clear it actually is. It may be a little bit of a mystery. In other words, he's the word. Here's the word. God revealed both. So, all right, next one. Yes, ma'am. Right. 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 So he's the revel. Just yeah. Both are a revelation of God in that sense. Mm -hmm. So the second one here, B. Uh, let me go to the major errors. I think I was just getting to those. Rejecting the inspiration of Scripture, which leads to a denial of divine power operating through it. So in other words, we're rejecting that the Bible's inspired, so then that leads uh, to us then not seeing the transformative power of the Bible. That one's mostly what the world does. Here's the second one. Denying the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, resulting in the elevation of other speech acts that are thought to affect transformation. Now, this is a little complicated, but in essence, what we've done is that when we, we've said this is God's speech act, when you begin to say there are other forms of God's speech acting, other paralleling forms of the Bible, things in way which God is speaking to us, then now we have found some other transformative power alongside of it. It's essentially what you're creating. I saw this done one time. Um, I gave several. I gave a few examples of this kind of stuff last week. I'll bring another one in. I, I saw it done in a service. The preacher got up, and he had everybody sit in the service and hold their hands out, and all of them to pray and ask for God to give them a revelation. Very specifically, that's what he said. He wants you right now and ask God to give you a revelation. What you're looking for is a word from God that has transformative power apart from the Bible. In a sense, what you've now done is you've brought something up alongside of the Bible in its sufficiency and authority. Okay, uh, so let's talk about, uh, here's the third one. Failing to respond correctly to the scripture 
Now, this is where I skipped these words earlier, and now they're coming back on me because they're in your handout. Failing to respond correctly to the locution and illocution. God's speech acts in Scripture. Here's essentially what it's saying. It's the way that we make an error is we disobey the Word. One of the errors of the transformative power of the Bible is when God gives His command, we don't actually respond. This is sin. So the Word is meant to transform, but in the process we we sin. So that's essentially what it's getting at there. Um, so how do we enact this doctrine? Last couple things and I'll wrap it up. We approach Scripture as our adversary that challenges us. In other words, you should expect Scripture to challenge you. You and I are sinners that when we sit down with a holy word, holy God who speaks to us through his word, a perfect word, we will then in that moment be convicted of our sin and that word desires to transform us. So when you sit down with the Bible, you ought to be able to say, this is how the Bible is changing me. So that's what we're looking for. <clears throat> the error comes when, like I mentioned earlier, if, you're, if you can say, I, I sit through all these Bible studies. I have my quiet times and I spend all this time with the Word. But if you can't name a way in which the Bible is changing you, then you're undermining the transformative power of the Scripture. You ought to see the Bible in your life changing you. A believer has the word speaking into their life and sees change. The conviction of the word changing them. So you ought to be able to see the transformative power. And that's where I get to the last part, expecting scripture to transform us. You approach scripture knowing it's going to confront you and then through the scriptures it's going to help to change you. So you ought to see when you sit down with your quiet time or even when you hear the word taught, you ought to expect it to have an impact. And it's not because we're reading some magical incantation. It's because the word is so connected to God that God is actually speaking, transforming words to you. Yes, sir? Uh huh. Right. Right, he is a new creation. That's right. Well, we were reading today, you read through the epistles. It talks about putting to death, putting off is the phrase, and then it talks about like putting on. That's what's happening when you do the scriptures. There's this transforming power. You're putting off and you're putting on. It's, it's a constant growing to be more like Christ. And so that's, that's what's happening, but it's done through the transformative power of the word uh, with the illumination and the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. So I think I've run out of time. So we've got to let everybody get to, you know, I've got a few more questions, but we'll save those for after class if you don't mind. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Close our time down. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for these moments together with your word. God, we ask that that as we go from here and spend time daily in your word, God, we would come expect, with expectant hearts because you desire to make your truth and yourself clear to us so that we can understand you and your word. And Lord, you desire to use that so that we might become more like the image of Christ, more like the image that we were made into. And Lord, we pray that you would restore us through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, through the blood of Christ, all to the glory of God the Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.